You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. We are going to continue our series in the book of 1 Samuel. So if you have a Bible with you, you might want to just turn there. Now it's in the Old Testament, first part of the Bible. Quick recap on the series so far. Um, we have been looking at this, uh, this couple called Elkanah and Hannah, who couldn't have children, and Hannah called out to God, she poured her heart out to God, and uh, he miraculously intervened and gave her a child. They named the child Samuel, and Samuel then uh, went to serve under Eli, the high priest of the nation. He was the person in charge of Israel, essentially. And uh, Samuel, we see, uh, we've seen over the last couple of weeks, he grows in stature and in favor before God and men. And uh, we, we see him really contrasted with um, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who were bad eggs, basically. They were priests themselves, but they were not honoring God with their lives. They were making a mockery of the worship by taking offerings for themselves and uh, by sleeping around with the woman who served at the, the, the tabernacle, which was the, the place where they would make the sacrifices. So um, the, the nation really was following its leaders. It was not in a good place. The nation of Israel um, was following corrupt leadership. Eli was quite a good man, but he did nothing to uh, correct his son's behavior. And uh, we saw uh, last week, as Tim shared, uh, Samuel heard from God. He heard God's audible voice. And uh, God said he was going to bring judgment to Israel because of their uh, ways. He was going to bring judgment particularly to Eli and his uh, household. And so we pick up the story in chapter 4, and we're going to read the first four verses together. We'll come up on the screens around the room if you haven't got a Bible with you. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in the line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who was enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. So we've got here the Philistines. They were long-term enemies of Israel, lots of warring going on. About 50 years before this, Samson had failed to defeat uh, the Philistines, mighty Samson, he'd failed to defeat them. And so they, they're going on with this, this war against their neighboring country, the Philistines. And uh, this nation, as I've said already, the nation of Israel was backsliding. It wasn't honoring God and uh, was actually not honoring God's heart. This whole series is about honoring God and going after his heart, having hearts that are inclined to God and his ways. And Israel was not in that place. And so they went into battle and they're defeated, and they lose 4,000 men. They hadn't given regard to their scriptures. Their own scriptures, they had the first five books of the Bible that we have at this time. Their own scriptures had said clearly that if they as a nation were not honoring God and being attentive to his uh, ways, then they would actually go into battle and would be defeated. And that has happened here. So they're defeated, they're confused, they're the special people of God after all. They're the ones that uh, God had chosen. He'd taken them out of Egypt. He had given them a land for themselves. And they're thinking, this isn't supposed to happen. 
This isn't part of the plan. We've, we've found ourselves defeated quite badly. What is going on? They ask the question, why? Many of us, when things are going wrong, we don't even ask the question why. We don't even want to uh, dig under the surface to ask what's going on. At least Israel asked the question why. But they ask the question why without really wanting to know the answer. There are times when asking is not really asking. There's times when we want to lament something that's going on in our lives, but we don't really want to ask the question why. It might be that we uh, are going through some relational difficulty in the workplace and uh, we might lament it and say, why is this going on? But really don't want to dig deeper and ask why. We might think to ourselves, well, it's just part of the spiritual battle that I'm in. I'm, sta- I'm taking a stand for Jesus and uh, I'm in this battle now and uh, therefore it's just to do with that. Or it might be that we think it's all to do with the fact that we're called to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And therefore the suffering we're going through is, is part of that, that call to suffer for the name of Jesus so that we uh, might glorify him in our suffering. And those things are valid. We are indeed in a battle. We are, uh, as we become Christians, we're setting uh, our feet on a battlefield essentially. Uh, and we are even called to uh, take up our cross and to make sacrifices. And, and sometimes things will be difficult for the sake of living for Jesus. But sometimes it's actually that we need to look beyond the surface and at the presenting problems. It might be marital difficulty, it might be, uh, it might be um, financial uh, struggle. At the end of our uh, month when we're uh, approaching payday, we might think to ourselves, I can't, I'm not sure we're going to get through this. Uh, it might be various difficulties that we go through. And actually, we need to ask the question, why? What's going on here? And it isn't always a very spiritual answer. It isn't always, well, it's just that we're in a spiritual battle and that uh, we, you know, we're just, it's just part and parcel of what it is to be a Christian. There's sometimes some things we need to look beyond the surface and see what's going on. And this is what Israel uh, failed to do here. They ask the question, why is God uh, bringing defeat to us? But they don't really take the time then uh, to consider whether there might be a good answer uh, for that. They actually... Uh, have a quick fix solution, which is get the Ark of the Covenant, get it in, and we'll see how that goes. So oftentimes, what's going on uh, beyond the surface of our lives is a worship issue. It's a worship issue. It's something that uh, uh, when we think about it, when we take the time to pray and ask God to reveal it to us, there's something going on under the surface that is not just um, the the presenting issue, the, the problem of uh, marital difficulty, whatever it might be, there's actually a worship issue there. There's something that we are treasuring uh, of great value in our lives other than God, and it's leading to problems. I occasionally, occasionally do our garden. The reason I do it occasionally is not because I'm lazy, it's because it's so disheartening. I've got three young children, and uh, I will do the garden, and it will be looking good, And then Sarah, my wife, will say, hey, kids, do you want to go and see what daddy's done in the garden? And five minutes later, it will be an absolute tip. It really will be. There will be stuff everywhere. There will be soil all over the patio. There will be things pulled up. And it's just so disheartening. So I only do it very occasionally just to kind of make sure it's not a complete jungle. And I'll find weeds. And I'll think, okay, that's got to come. That's got to go. And, And sometimes you get hold of a weed and you'll see a root underneath it that's sometimes three or four times as large as the weed that you've pulled up. And you think, what? Where on earth has this come from? How on earth has this weed been allowed to grow so much underneath the surface? Sometimes you can be pulling and pulling and it's just coming up right along the, uh, the soil bed. I would say flower bed, but we haven't got flowers. The soil bed in our garden. It just Again, it's just weed. All, where's it come from? And, and oftentimes, with the difficulties we go through in our lives, if we only dig that little bit deeper below the surface, we might see that there's some issues 
underneath the surface that need to be dealt with. It's not just a case of uh, chopping the weed off by its head, because what's going to happen is it's only going to grow back. But actually, when we go deeper and see what the issue is below the surface, we can then deal with it. And I would suggest that we have a worship problem. It might be that uh, you're, you're lazy at home and your spouse is getting annoyed with that. Or what your problem isn't, the presenting problem is, is laziness, but the problem underneath is worship. The problem underneath is worship of yourself, that you believe that the world should serve you and that actually it's all about you and your needs. It might be uh, that you're struggling come the end of each month with your finances and there may be legitimate reasons for that, but oftentimes it's because our worship is of stuff. And we think, I need to get more stuff because he's got that, and I need to have that, and I need to, be as, I need to keep up with him. And then we run out of money by the end of the month, and we think, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? It might be that we uh, blow up in anger. And the, the, issue, the presenting issue is, yes, anger and shouting and uh, stomping around, but actually the real issue is often worship of our own reputation and our own ego, that when we feel that's been challenged, we feel we've been humiliated in some way, we blow up in anger. Or it might be various other things. You can fill in the blanks here. It might be that you are perpetually worried and anxious. I can't stop worrying. At night time, I can't stop uh, thinking through everything that uh, I need to cover tomorrow in my daytime or everything I've missed today. Well, it's the worship of control. I need to be in control. Rather than acknowledging, God, you're in control. Rather than saying, God, I know that you're on the throne and not me. We might worship other things. It might not be that we sing songs to these things. It might not be we sing songs to money or whatever it might be, but actually we treasure these things highly in our hearts. And, uh, and it leads to pain. It leads to difficulty. So the Israelites, they, they lament the problem, but they don't dig deep to find out what's going on in their hearts and what's captured their true affection. So this is what the Israelites do. They say, right, we're going to get the Ark of the Covenant, which will come up on the screens now. This is uh, a box that uh, contained... The Ten Commandments on two pieces of stone. Okay, it was like God giving his people a copy of the terms. This was kept in the tabernacle, this meeting place, this tent in uh, Shiloh. And uh, also within this box was some manna that was um, given to the people of uh, Israel as they wandered around in the desert after being freed from Egypt. They received this, this bread from heaven, this miraculous bread. And uh, this was also in the box. But what uh, above all else, this box, this Ark of the Covenant, was a symbol of God's presence. It was a symbol of God's presence. It symbolized God being with his people. And later in the stories we'll see in the coming weeks and months, um, there was a temple built that became, for the Israelites, a more permanent fixture, a more permanent indication of where God dwelt. But this, in the meantime, was a symbol of God's presence. And it was supposed to stay in the tabernacle. It was supposed to stay in this meeting tent in Shiloh, And yet they decided that we're going to take it out of that tent and we're going to take it into battle, along with Hophni and Phinehas, who were these corrupt priests. And let's see how it goes, shall we? Verses 5 to 11. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, what does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come to the camp, The Philistines were afraid, for they said, A God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. 
Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and they fled every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the ark of God was captured and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. So, Israel, instead of truly diagnosing their problem as being not being after God's heart, as being rebellious and backsliding from God, they think they can use God to get their own way. They think they can just get, they can paper over the cracks, they can get hold of the Ark of the Covenant, and they can bring it into the battle like a superstitious object that will give them power. Now, ironically, in this story, it's the Philistines who actually take God seriously. It's the Philistines who remember the story of God's rescue of Israel. And they're saying, woe to us. They're quaking. They're really, really terrified. They they remembered how God had uh, taken this people, thousands and thousands of people, out of slavery from the world's greatest superpower at the time. How he had taken them out of that country and into their own country. They at least remembered that. Now, I'm sure that if you'd asked one of the Israelites what happened in the past to your people, they would have been able to very easily give you a summary of that story. But the issue was that they were not living in the light of that. They were not living in the light of that rescue that God had provided for his people. They were not living in the good of it. They were not recalling it and thinking, okay, in view of the fact that God has so rescued us from oppression and slavery and has brought us into this wonderful land that we now have as our own, they were actually walking away from God. Instead of responding to God in worship, they were walking away from his ways. Many of us even here could recite the good news, couldn't we? We could say, yes, I know exactly what the gospel is. I know exactly what it is that God has done in my life. But oftentimes we're not living in the light of it. We're not living with that in mind. We're not living with that changing our every day with the good news of the gospel. We could probably answer a quiz on the gospel really, really easily, but are we allowing it to change our lives? Are we allowing it to make us grateful and live uh, in ways of gratitude before God? Because we have known a far greater rescue than the people of Israel. We've known a far greater rescue than them. We have been freed from spiritual slavery. We were slaves to sin, the Bible says. We were slaves to the fear of death. We've been declaring this morning, haven't we, that death no longer has a sting because Jesus has risen from the grave. You know, if you're a Christian, you don't have to fear death. You've been freed from the fear of death. You've been been freed from your sin, not by uh, God sending plagues to, uh, to, to your enemy, but by becoming cursed himself, by Jesus coming and dying on the cross, taking everything that we've done wrong upon himself. We've gone through the the waters of baptism. We've said goodbye to our past. Our past no longer has a hold on us. Just like the Israelites as they came through the parted sea. We've entered into a kingdom. We've entered into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So the Bible says we've entered a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It will never be threatened by any world powers. The Israelites had obviously entered into the land that God had promised them. We, friends, have known a rescue that is even greater than they had known. And so often, I feel, we don't live in the light of that. We don't live in the good of it. We often treat God like a spiritual waiter. We often treat God like uh, we would a waiter in a restaurant. We sit down, we're enjoying our meal, not really involving the waiter other than when we want something. Other than when we say, hey, can we have the bill, please? Can we have the dessert menu? Can you top our wine up? That's often how we treat God. 
We ignore him most of the time, but when a disaster strikes, a little bit like what happened here with Israel, we think, okay, now I need you, God. Now I'm going to bring you in. Now I'm going to bring you out of my pocket, and I'm going to rub the lamp, and I'm going to ask you for help. And that's not what we're to do. We, we find in this story that we cannot use God. You can't use God. Israel, they take the Ark of the Covenant into battle. They end up being defeated really in an even worse fashion than they did before, losing 30,000 men. They were not seeing God for who he is. They were not seeing God to be the Lord of all, the Lord of glory. They were seeing him as some sort of pocket God that they could bring out when life got tough. They learned the hard way that God can't be manipulated into doing what we want him to do. He's not here for our comfort and our glory. Yes, I preached a few weeks ago that God is the God of all comfort. He's able to comfort us in our affliction. In every affliction, he's able to comfort us. But he's not just for our comfort. Does that make sense? He's he's committed to his glory more than anything. He he wants to be seen as the one who's all-sufficient for every difficulty we go through and every day of our lives. So we mustn't try and manipulate God. We, we, we do this, I think, in many ways. We sometimes think, okay, well, I'm going uh, to raise my hands in worship, or I'm going to uh, turn up to church a certain amount of times a month, I'm going to give 10% of my income uh, to the church, or I'm going to, uh, uh, whatever it might, might be, that I, whatever it might be, we, we will try and manipulate God in some ways. I'm going to read two chapters of the Bible Every day, or I'm going to, you know, then if I do these things, when it comes to my hour of need, I can say to God, look, God, I've held up my, my end of the bargain here. And now I need you to come through for me. And we can try and manipulate him into doing what we want him to do for us. Now, those things that I've uh, suggested that we do sometimes, they're not bad things. They're good things. But we must do them from a place of living in light of the rescue we've received rather than trying to manipulate God into doing stuff for us. That we, 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 we take hold of the fact that God has forgiven us in Christ. He's made us new. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's, he's adopted us into his family. All of these things. And we say, right, God, in light of that, now everything I have is yours. Everything I have, every, every, time, every ounce of my energy, all my time, all my money, it's yours. I give it to you. Rather than saying, God, if only I do these things, you've got to keep up your end of the bargain and do some things for me. So often we try and, and manipulate God in that way. The Israelites in this story, they didn't see and savor the goodness of God and act from a place of worship. No, it was quick. Let's get the ark out and then God will make our plans work. But we see in this story that God is more committed to his glory than anything else. He's committed to his glory. He's committed to his name being made famous. The story continues. The news of the defeat and the deaths of uh, Hophni and Phinehas, it reaches Eli, this old man, he's an old priest by this time, and he ends up dying. It, the news kills him, and then his pregnant daughter-in-law, this is Phineas's wife, she hears about the news, she goes into labor, and then she dies in childbirth, but before she dies, she names the child Ichabod, which means the glory has departed from Israel. This was a dire moment in the, in the history of Israel. The Ark of the Covenant had been captured by the Philistines, the glory of God had departed from Israel. We know the story doesn't end there. That's not how God finished, uh, or that's not the way God finishes uh, the story. But the weight of God's presence, his glory, had, had left the people of Israel. Eli hadn't stopped his sons. He had been warned, but he hadn't stopped his sons. These, these corrupt priests who were running right, he hadn't stopped them. And the judgment that was promised to him had come upon him and his family. So we read on the story in chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. When the Philistines captured the ark of God, 
They brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. Dagon was a, uh, a god that they worshipped. The statue was half fish, half man. If you want an amusing uh, afternoon, you can Google some images of what this god looked like. It's pretty funny. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. So they put, this, uh, they put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple with this other god, Dagon. He falls over overnight. They think, oh, it must have been a bit of wind. They put him back up, and the next time, he's fallen down, and he's smashed to pieces. And they just suddenly start to fear. So the rest of the story, they start to move this Ark of the Covenant around their country. A bit stupid, really. They keep doing it, and uh, people end up getting tumors. They end up getting really ill. It, kept, it says in the text here, the weight of the Lord was upon them. The weight of the Lord. He was, the Lord's hand was heavy upon them. They've made a big error here, capturing this ark, and they keep moving it around. And we see here that just as with unseen idols in our hearts, God will not allow any other idol to rival his glory. He will not allow us to have any other God but him. In the light of God's glory, all other idols must fall. God will not have us worshipping something else. He wishes for him to be the centre of our worship So he allows the Israelites to be defeated, that he might show himself to be the one worthy of worship. Just consider that for a moment. God allows his people to be defeated to the extent where a woman names her child Ichabod. The glory has left Israel. He allows this to happen so that they will come to see that he alone is to be worshipped. God will go to great lengths to free us from idolatry. He will go to great lengths to free us from our worship of anything else other than him. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. And if you want to think about it in another way, it's anything that if it was taken away from you, you'd be torn apart. Your life would have fallen flat. This is what idolatry is. When we place things as the utmost importance in our lives. God knows that when we worship things that are not him, it leads not only to disappointment, but to slavery. It leads to disappointment, absolutely, but ultimately to slavery. God knows that anything else will ultimately disappoint us and enslave us. And I would suggest this morning that we're living in a nation that is full of idols. It may not be really obvious idols like the statue of Dagon, half fish, half man. But we're living in a a nation where people have idols. I would suggest that in our nation, many people are worshipping themselves. What do I mean by that? Well, I'd suggest that with the cult of social media, and I use social media, so I just want to throw that one out there. But we, we, we can become enslaved to social media. I must have people affirm me. I must have people adore me. I must have people like me or follow me. I must, have, I must know that people are thinking about me. It's worship of ourselves, isn't it? Or it might be that we worship material possessions and it leads not only to 
debt, but it leads to slavery and misery. Just as with worship of ourselves, it, it leads to misery. I was reading an article the other day about people who are so... Uh, there's, a, there's a whole generation of people who are addicted. They, they cannot stop refreshing their social media feeds. I cannot stop because I, I'm addicted to... I want to know if people like me. I want to know... This is worship of self. We worship comfort. We need to have an easy time. It leads to laziness. It leads to obesity. It leads to all kinds of misery and slavery. We idolize sex and it leads to millions of people experimenting with sex outside of God's ordained means. You know, these, many of these things are good things. Sex is a really good thing. Okay, if you've heard it from another church that sex is not a good thing, hear it here. Sex is a really good thing. But, but these things can become an ultimate thing. And they become enslaving. They become enslaving and it leads to misery. But when we worship God, it leads to life. When we make our lives about the worship of the true God, it leads to true freedom and true life. That's what God has come to bring. Jesus said, I've come to bring life and life to the full. He wants us to have life to the full. He wants us to have a life that is abundant. But it comes from making our lives all about him, not about other things. God has gone to the greatest length possible to free us from idolatry. He has come to earth not in the form of a box to symbolize his presence, but he's come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ worshipped God alone. He put his father before anything else. He obeyed his father even to the extent of dying on the cross, of taking our place of taking our sin and our shame. And it looked like a defeat. It looked like a defeat, just like it did for the Israelites. It looked like a defeat, but all along God had a plan. All along God's plan was to raise Jesus to life, to vindicate him and to give him the name that was above every name. That one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's the length that God has gone to in order to free us from idolatry to free us from the things that enslave us because we put them before God in our lives. And this morning, I want you to know, we've been singing this morning, haven't we, about God breaking chains. I hadn't spoken with the worship team about what I was going to preach on in this regard. And it, and it was so helpful to see that we were singing a song that was really in line with uh, what I was preaching about, that God is coming to break chains of idolatry here this morning. He's come to break chains because he's got great purposes for us. I scribbled on my notes as we were singing, there's an army rising up. There is an army rising up here. And God wants to have an army that is after his heart. That will, unlike the Israelites in this story, will run after his heart. And then we'll go into battle putting God first for his glory. And that we would see many, many hundreds, thousands of people saved and set free. That's the army that's rising up here. We, our, our war isn't against flesh and blood. Our, our, our war is to take the gospel, take the message of Jesus to as many people as possible, to push back the darkness. And there's an army rising up, and we need to be free from the things that we've uh, allowed to become idols in our lives, the things that we've allowed to, to become the ultimate things in our lives. Do you want to be free from the things that have enslaved you? Do you want to be free from things that are, are maybe more ultimate in your mind's eye than God? The Apostle John, he writes the very last words of his, his letter in 1 John. He writes this. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true 
And we are in him who is true, in his son Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols, he says. In the light of the fact that Jesus Christ is the true God. And in him is found eternal life. In him is found life in abundance and forever. In light of that, we, we, we keep ourselves from idols. We say, I'm going to get rid of anything else in my life that might, that might come to challenge God's place. Or I'm going to put it in its rightful place. I'd love it if we could, we could stand together. I want to pray for us. I think the musicians are just going to come and uh, help us uh, in a song as we finish. Let's ask God to come and move amongst us now, just as he has already this morning. Thank you, Father, that you are here right now. We don't have to ask that you'll be here. You've promised it. Lord, you've said where two or more gathered, you'd be with them. Lord, we're, we're gathered together this morning in your presence. And I want to ask, Father, that right now you'd come and do a deep work in our hearts. Lord God, I recognize in my own life things that can creep in, weeds that can creep in, things that can uh, start to be appearing more significant than you in my life. I say right now, God, you are the king on the throne. You are the one whose uh, heart I am after. You're the one who I live for. Lord God, I want to say anything in my life that I've placed as significant, whether it be material possessions or popularity or anything else, Lord, I say these need to fall now before you, the living God. Jesus Christ, you are the true and living God. Jesus, you're the king on the throne. And Lord, it's you that we're living for. Lord, I pray that right now you'd break chains in this room. Lord, break chains of idolatry right now. In the name of Jesus, I pray that uh, for those who are maybe um, idolizing possessions, that you would now, right now, come and bring the truth that you are far, far more satisfying than anything else that we could run after. You're far more satisfying, Lord, and that we can store up treasure for ourselves in heaven, Lord, by putting you first, by seeking first your kingdom. Lord, I pray that where we maybe idolize control, where we try and be in control of things, I pray that right now we would surrender to the truth that you, Jesus, are the true and living God, not us. Lord Jesus, you are the true and living God. Lord, I pray that where we've idolized comfort, that we would, we would reject the lie that it's all about us and we would accept and affirm the truth. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about your glory. Lord God, we make you, you're already the king, but we, we enthrone you as king in our lives again today. Lord God, we want to be an army that would rise up and take this town and take the nations with the truth that Jesus is the true and living God. Lord God, I pray that we would not be held back by things that would uh, seek to enslave us. Lord God, we want to be free to run, free to run, free to take the message to the nations, free, Lord God, to glorify you in everything. Lord, I believe your plans and purposes for us as a church are such that if we were to know them now, if we were to know them in their fullness, we would, we would laugh and cry in equal measure. Lord, I believe that. And Lord God, I want to be a man who's after your heart. I want this family to be a family of men and women who are after your heart, fully after your heart, that we would take your message to the thousands and thousands of people here who don't know you that you love them Lord that you love them that you have the very best for them that knowing you is true life knowing you is true freedom 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.